Welcome to Talking Ink. It's a very fine line between being an, an insider and being an outsider. It's, it's actually, we're all quite fragile. A podcast for stories, poems and ways of thinking. I'm Lucy Smith. I love outsiders. They're plucky. They, you know, they're not afraid to, to stand up. This episode is called Outsiders. I had a brilliant chat with each and every writer who came onto the podcast. And what you'll hear throughout is snippets of conversations that we had about the idea of outsiders. The phrase outsiders reminds me of a feeling. It was a night when I was maybe 12 years old. Um, in my bedroom in Lancaster, where I grew up, and I couldn't sleep. Before in these situations, I used to lie there, eyes wide open, thinking, I can't get out of bed, I'll get told off. Uh, But this night, I got out of bed, and I crossed my tiny room a few steps to my desk, climbed up on my desk, climbed up on the windowsill above it, and sat there cramped and cold. And from my bedroom window, you could see Lancaster Castle. And I stayed there long enough for the sun to rise over it. Um, The milkman came, I think he comes about 4am maybe. Um, And I just remember having this bursting feeling in my chest. It was, the world was nothing like it was when I was awake. Um, I'd sort of caught it off guard somehow, it hadn't woken up yet. And I was watching it like I was an alien. And I've had this feeling crop up again and again usually in the early hours of mornings. You might share this feeling. You might know what it feels like. You might not. Uh, You might be going, what is she on about? But this is my outsider experience. That's what came to mind when I started thinking about it. And being cut off from others isn't always a bad thing. Today you'll hear five different perspectives on what it is to be an outsider. And maybe you can come up with your own ideas on what you think. Our first writer in this episode is Brian Marshall. His poem explores the idea of moving from the outsider to the insider and how quickly this change can happen. I wrote this poem um, uh, January last year, so 2017, so it's uh, it's quite old for me now. Uh, And just for fun, last January and February, I took myself off to Bath for about three days that's the extent of my travelling last year. Um, I'm a bit of a homebody, really. Um, but I'd never been to Bath before, um, even though you can practically see it from my bedroom window here in Cardiff. Um, but I was sitting in a coffee shop, and I was just looking out at the road signs. There were directions here, directions there. Um, and I was just sitting there thinking, I don't need these signs anymore. I know where the Abbey is. I know where this is. I know where that is, because I passed it when I was walking, because I walk everywhere. I've got nice long legs. They're very useful, which means I have sore feet all the time, but never mind. I just thought it's amazing how quickly people can um, develop um, a familiarity with the place. Even if you're only there for two or three days, you will find that as a human, I tend to find as a human, I will adapt quite quickly. So you know this street, you know that street, you know the shortcut that you can go down this alley and get to where you want to go really quickly. And you don't really understand how that's happened. So although I was an outsider, even within two or three days, I kind of started to feel... Um, not at home, but definitely sort of more welcome than you'd think you'd be in a strange place. Blending in. 
change slips fast into routine. The purpose of signs soon drips with redundance as you take the same old route down new streets, knowing corners. Dark alleys lit with quick familiarity are shortcuts, sly-winked native secrets. A wall's inscription with its day-old, age-old fable and the unexpected regularity of bell-clang hours. Shed novelty's robes become absent with frequency, as well-worn as yesterday's clothes. Air breathes its function as before, lungs lift with life's measured rise and fall, and, after all, you did bring your own blood with you. I guess maybe subconsciously I do write about outsiders. I'm from Scotland originally, um, in a tiny little village. I didn't tell anyone outright until I was 18 that I was gay. Maybe it's because of my experiences as a sort of teenager, because they're very formative years where you're getting your opinions about yourself sorted out and your opinions about other people and working out what other people's opinions about you are. Maybe I do tend to write about outsiders. And also, quite frankly, people who write, especially poets, we're pretty much all outsiders anyway. That's the one of the reasons we do it is because we're different. The most important one to me is the kind of psychological outsider. So having different ideologies, different uh, feelings, different opinions. Um, if you are different from the people that you're around, it can be very difficult to make yourself heard. I mean, for example, myself... I'm really shy when it comes to big-ish groups of people. So if I'm sitting in the pub and there's about 10 people, I won't say a thing. I will sit in the corner and be utterly silent. And it's not because I don't have anything to say. It's just I don't have the confidence to say it because I think, well, why does somebody want to listen to what I've got to say? Which is quite ironic because I'm standing here talking into a mic about my own opinions. It can be difficult depending on your personality. Some people are really forceful and can get that across and can cope with it. And other people obviously just flounder because they can't cope with that difference, that feeling of being alienated. What Brian talks about in his poem, that shift from outsider to insider, I think it crops up a lot in our lives. I recently started a new job and it just got me thinking how quickly uncertainty and anxiety turns into routine and suddenly we find ourselves at home, we're comfortable and it happens so naturally that you don't even notice. Our second writer, Jill Barrett, explores the notion of the outsider without a choice, often forgotten by the world around them. A horizontal life. I am horizontal not whilst resting from furious waves, my body etched by the movement of sand, nor absorbing chlorophyll from newly mown grass as I read my book. There is no photosynthesis for me, no luxury lies in my lying. I am propped and pinioned, padded by pillows, muscles and joints soothed, softened by silver-grey cushions. You may say this is a strange life, but I am one of millions. We are rocky outcrops scattered, left off the map. We are the disappeared, not by war or revolutions, famine or hunger, but by viruses, bugs, bacteria. 
by caring too much and loving too long, by throwing ourselves in front of the tanks. If you want to seek us out, go look in beds, on sofas, on floors, in hospitals, in darkened rooms, in wheelchairs. On every continent you will find us, linked by screens and the thread running through, our words travelling where we cannot go. Inside our bodies, inside our cells, inside our spinal cords and organs, a strike has been called, our bodies closing down. In cupboards sit boots and outdoor shoes, waiting to be worn. In lofts are rackets, running out of patience. In wardrobes are dresses, dreaming of dance. But inside, I am growing back a life. My heart vibrates to the sound of Japanese drummers. The rhythm of rapping awakens my brain. Movement of a kayak on transparent water reflects on my skin. Outside, I am horizontal. Inside, I am climbing. When I think about what the term outsider means to me, I realise that in the past, 60s, 70s, I saw being alternative or outside the norm a bit of a choice. But now, having developed a disabling illness, I realise what it means to me now and its exclusion, not being able to participate. First, because of how the illness limits me, and secondly, because of how society is organised with the needs of disabled people, rarely written into the blueprint. I developed the illness ME after being hospitalised with a virus that I have never fully recovered from. I had to give up my career, activities that I loved, like badminton, going for long walks, climbing. All of this came to an end and mostly has not returned. One of the things I discovered about having a disabling illness is that it is very difficult to get around. Everything that I used to take for granted, like going to a city centre shop, a film, a meal, none of them are straightforward, as I have to park close, otherwise I'm too exhausted to do anything when I do make it. Life is organised around pacing and resting, so that when I am strong enough to get out, I look great, I look fit and well, which is fine, but behind closed doors I'm not. I find it particularly difficult in the very busy, fast-moving society we live in today where exercise is prized way above the efforts of those of us in the slow lane. Cardiff is particularly difficult with so many high-profile events necessitating road closures, which usually include closing disabled bays. Some of us call these times disabled stay-at-home weekends. But I would like to mention a couple of organisations that show that inclusivity can happen without a huge amount of effort. No Fit State Circus and the Eisteddfod, when it was in Cardiff Bay, were brilliant. They offered free mobility scooters, special parking. I could get to events that really brought tears to my eyes to be there. Obviously, we have the internet, and that does enable participation, which is really important to me. I belong to a global organisation called Millions Missing, which links people with ME all over the world. And once a year, we're represented in cities in hundreds of countries, including here in Cardiff, by shoes we used to wear. 
stating what they used to be used for years or decades ago when we were fit and well. So I donated my badminton shoes. If you'd like to find out more about Millions Missing, visit meaction.net. I love the idea of those shoes on display, each telling the owner's story. Next, Richard Rogers reads his poem. More than. I need more than a handout. More than a shunt down the tracks. From bench to tent. Shelter to shared house. Accommodated to accommodation. I need more than the methadone. More than a substitute. The palliative care. The prescriptive chit slapped on the runaway train. I need more than the hand-me-down wrap-around cast-offs as ill-fitting a solution as the hang of the cloth on the wrong-for body. I need more than the feasting, tramping between tables, spread, spread, knee-deep, and yet still more to eat, a case perhaps where less is more. I need more than a handout, more of a hand-up, more of a route and a plan, and a hand, yes, a hand to trust, that's there to catch me, and caution with care, and make some small space, where there's more than to hear, where there's a future out there. I'm a volunteer at TAVS, which is uh, uh, run by a number of churches in Cardiff, and uh, we help as much as we can the vulnerable people there, the homeless. Um, but I suppose what is an outsider? That, that's the question. And, uh, and I suppose an outsider is someone who doesn't have a, a place. And that place could be uh, a physical place to stay or a place in society. And they're just outside the loop. While I was doing uh, voluntary work on Sunday, I just put on my phone and, and taped what was going on. You think what's important in a day, in anyone's life, in my life, in your life, and it's that, that we care about each other. We can all feel outsiders from time to time anyway. We might not be permanently in it. And in fact, some of the people who, who you might look on as in a, you know, a dispossessed community, you know, the homeless, there can be a lot of care there as well you know, between them. So they can be quite supportive of each other. And you could argue they're, they're, they're them an insider. And it's a very fine line between being, an, if you like, an insider and having a, a reasonably normal life and being an outsider. It's, it's actually, we're all quite fragile and it's very easy to move from one to the other. So I had a look at the TAV's website the other day and something that caught my attention was that there's an artist working with them who's collecting stories from homeless people across Cardiff, getting a feel for each person's character and painting their portraits. Uh, I'd really like to see these. And I think they're displayed as pop-up exhibitions. Uh, you can get more details on the TAB's website. Sometimes 
being an outsider happens by circumstance. The writer Christy Collins, who moved from Louisiana to Cardiff a couple of years ago, talked to me about cultural and political outsiders. When I think of an outsider, I think of someone that's outside of the cultural norms, whatever those may be in whatever area that you're talking about. Um, and I also think of an outsider as being um, a circumstance or a situation that can be a choice. Like you can choose to be an outsider or you can be one by situation. I mean, you, you can also have it forced on you. And so I think that, that the two can manifest differently. Interestingly, for me and for my writing, I feel like I only came to understand truly what it was to be an outsider when I moved. It's just very apparent that I'm not, that you know, that I wasn't born here. As soon as I open my mouth and begin to speak, it's, it becomes evident that I'm from a different place. Um, so yeah, I guess I'm particularly interested in situations where it's kind of out of your control, you know, where you're not opting to be the outsider, where you're, where you're, you're where you find yourself there. And that's, um, that's where the poem picks up. American Apathy. He would never come to power. That was my excuse. It grew to believe in itself the worst kind of excuse. At first, I removed the excuse from my leather jacket and offer it to any persons who agreed who might consider my excuse concurrent with their own. Little did I know it spread like a fever. Farmers planted it in fields. Mothers ate it whole. My ex used it as his own. The professors laughed. The literati jeered. The leftist napped through the primaries, leaned into poll numbers. Same old excuse. And before I could change my tune, he overtook me, my country. He fooled every good old boy, every aristocrat. He swelled into an icon, saying excusez-moi as he moseyed down the red carpet, a Slavic supermodel on his arm. He ate my inertia. He doubled his power, but I, I could have done more. Excuse. My apathy gave him permission to lead his ranting, hollow voice, white eyes, face like a blood orange, all rind and no fruit. Too late, I stepped out of my excuse. I cast my vote was served my fate. My body became a protest sign, all red and blue with regret, now slumped against the White House gate amid the melting snow. The poem takes on the experience of being a voter in the U.S. and being one that just kind of assumed that the right choice would prevail and... It did not. And so then that feeling of guilt about not having done more to sort of um, push the right people, to push the right agenda, and to keep Donald Trump out of office. Although I don't think anyone, including himself, knew that he was going to be elected. The theme of outsiders with this poem, I would say, has a lot to do with feeling like you love where you're from and that you feel a lot of pride um, whatever that might mean in your country and your, your homeland, but then to have such a shock happen, somebody who isn't an insider can very quickly become the outsider. 
I love microfiction. These are basically extremely short stories and they can only be a flash, lighten up a character's life for a brief moment. Microfiction is my favourite thing to write and read. We only have one this episode. It's by Frances Karen, and I particularly love the main character in her story. Full of guts, this is someone proud to be the outsider. The New Girl She sits at the front of the classroom on the first day in Year 9. How brave of her. Her classmates have been together since nursery. They know each other's ways. The small town boundaries constructed around them over the years keep them within the confines of what is acceptable and what is not. Everything about her is short, dumpy and old before her time. Her glass blue eyes, full of confrontation, stare at him. She is ready to pounce and challenge his unchallenged words and behaviour. He has sat at a wooden desk on a square rostrum overlooking his students for years, a Gulliver-like teacher disgruntled with his chosen profession. The sausage fingers of his paddle-shaped hands sweeps his silver-thick hair off his forehead as he reads the pages of Shakespeare's Hamlet. It is for his pleasure, not theirs. She feels a resentment from the disinterested expressions as they sit before him, all of them unquestioning, resigned to his absent passion for their inclusion. She, however, her red hair clipped to the side of her face in a helmet bob, is not so compliant. Submissiveness is not a family trait. The fifth of nine children, two dead, she believes in provocation. She feels the ghostly defiance of her dead brothers and their refusal to obey a foreign force. It makes her strong as it ignites Boudicca's rebellious spirit within her. She needs this chance of learning to be the lawyer that she will one day become. Relentless in this ambition to represent the underdog, her voice startles the class. Do you think both the female characters in this play are flawed? Her deliberate tone aims towards the rostrum. He stirs. A lethargic lifting of his hooded eyelids indicates a sudden thwarting of his self-indulgent repertoire. He smiles a cynical smile. Someone's listening, he thinks. The class wait for his response. They look from one to the mighty other. She holds his gaze with precision. He reads her criticism. The silence of the classroom is full of restrained curiosity. She bathes in their liberated quietness and waits. You get all these negative connotations, misfits, you know. And then I thought, actually... I love outsiders. They're plucky. They, you know, they're not afraid to to stand up, probably feeling um, isolated, but they say what they feel. And the character in my story, um, I really admired her. I thought she was brave. She'd come in and um, she was going to challenge this teacher and his attitude. I was brought up on the Northern Irish border and I think very early on I learned about 
insiders and outsiders. Not, you know, I didn't put those labels on as a child, but you just had this um, sort of sixth sense about what was going on in your community across the border and how it had an impact in the community. And so, you know, I learned very early on about, you know, how it it could be quite dangerous to be an outsider. You know, if you were saying what you think um, or your actions portrayed that, it could be quite dangerous for you, really. I was thinking The Outsider is always a lot more interesting when you're reading or in a mm. film or, you know, they're a lot more interesting to watch or to listen to yeah. or the words. Because I think everybody feels an outsider in different contexts at mm. different periods of their life. Yeah. So I think that's why people probably like The Outsider because it's almost like, oh, I can watch it. I don't have to be it. Interestingly, when I moved to the UK, I loved being the outsider because it was a conversation opener. You know, you had a different accent, you were from a different place. So I really came out of my shell. But I did like being an outsider and, and you were. Um, so I think it, it doesn't have to be this misfit or kind of lonely, isolated person. I think there's a strength of character, actually, in being an outsider. Because being an insider, if you like, you've got the comfort of the crowd. You're less likely, probably, to step out of your comfort zone. There's a wonderful book by Olivia Lang, Exploring Loneliness in the City. And she looks at lonely artists in New York and at one point she talks about how looking at it face on exploring it can make loneliness less lonely recognising it can mean everyone acknowledges that the feeling is shared and it doesn't cheapen it in any way and it doesn't say it's not there and it's not hard but it's possible that appreciating the things about us that make us outsiders celebrating them sometimes is a way to make sure everyone feels a bit more human. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Talking Inc. Our music was by Sebastian Moody. The theme was Outsiders. This is a podcast for Radio Cardiff and we're sponsored by the lovely Seren Books. I hope you'll join us next time where the theme will be Faces. <laughs>